It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Inside Sources. Inside Sources on KSL News Radio. Welcome back to Inside Sources with Amy Donaldson and Steve Handy. We're taking over. We're never yes, leaving. Yes, we are. We're not leaving. We're <laughs> buckle your seatbelt. You're going to have to throw us out. Um, so we're going to talk about one of my favorite subjects, <laughs> and that is roads <laughs> and yeah. road conditions. Right. And how do we fund our roads? How do we pay for them? Um, because I read an interesting an article in utahpolicy.com by one of our former colleagues, Bob Burnick, Bob Burnick. Yeah. Um, where it basically said people don't want to pay for roads through a higher gas tax, and they don't want to pay for roads through toll uh, right. costs, right? So how do we pay for roads? And exactly, you exactly. And so I, I saw this on it. So we have on the air here the our excellent, outstanding director of the Utah Department of Transportation, Carlos Braceros. But hello, Carlos. But I want to say this first thing. So I think it was 40, 49% uh, said that they don't want an increase in the gas tax. Well, what what survey do any of us take that we say no? I want to increase my taxes. I really do. I really want to increase my taxes. That I mean that doesn't. Even, I mean that it's like well, but duh. I think it was. But, are you willing to pay yeah. more? But right? the, but the fact maybe it is. But the fact of the matter is is that you know the gas tax is a is a is a broken tax. I hear this in the legislature, and we do move. You know what is it, Carlos? Six hundred million dollars or something a year from the sales tax side. A little more than that. A little more than that, buddy. A little more than that to prop it up. And so we have some challenges, and that's what part of this tax reform. But but up in my neighborhood in, in Davis County, we've got this big 10-mile uh, stretch of Highway 89 uh, underway. It's a $400 million thing. Mm-hmm. The West Davis Corridor that it will extend going uh, north into from Davis we, there at Lagoon, you know, to going north, the extension of Legacy. And that's about a... Six hundred million dollars. There you go. So talk look to at t- he's shaving like a ten million off yeah. every estimate here. Yeah, <laughs> a penny here, a penny there. You know. But anyway, talk to us about uh, talk to us about funding and uh, and highways and building highways in the state of Utah. Yeah. Well, thank, first of all, thank you very much for this opportunity uh, to talk about transportation. Nothing nothing better to talk about in the world, I believe. Yeah. And uh, thank you, Representative Handy, for your leadership at the legislature. Um, you know, it's really important. When you look at the survey, I can completely agree and understand why the people responded in the way they do. Um, I, I think we, the survey needs, when we ask people a question, we need to present really a compelling reason why it's important to do that. And I'm sh- in those short survey questions, I don't think we do that. Um, today, we're, in a, we're really in a good shape here as a state um, of Utah. The legislature and the governors have done a great job looking forward. And, you know, we have the money today to keep our transportation moving forward. But with the growth that we're experiencing and with the erosion of the gas tax because of, you know, great things, fuel efficiency, electrification, all those wonderful things that we want and need, um, it is starting to erode the base that we work off of. And so it's perfect that the legislature is looking now with this task task force at what do we need to do in the future to provide for this 
foundation that really keeps our quality of life so wonderful in Utah. And, you know, I think we have to agree on a couple principles that I think are important. There needs to be a connection between those that use the system and how they pay for it. So if you use something more, if you use a cell phone more, if you use more electricity, you pay more. Mm -hmm. And if you're going to use the transportation system, you need to pay a proportional amount of your impact. And I think that that foundational principle is important, and we look at alternatives as we move forward. Well, and I'm I'm just looking at these questions, and they're they're not short questions. I thought they did give really great context for why they would be. They didn't just say, "Hey, do you want to pay more in gas tax?" Right? They talked about the gap, and they talked about what it would be used for. I think the big mistake, though, is that um, we don't have any. Like, what are the other alternatives? If you don't raise the gas tax, and you don't have toll roads, um, or you don't have some use based funding system, what are the alternatives? Well, and I think you need to also help people understand what the consequences are. Mm-hmm. You know, what are you, what are you getting for what you're paying? You know, is it, is it important that, you know, will, will this money help you, you know, reduce your commute times? Will it make the roads safer? Will it make the roads uh, smoother? And, you know, if I'm going to buy something, I want to, know, I want to understand fully what I get. And I understand in the context of asking a survey question, it's very difficult to have that conversation. But the last time the legislature increased the gas tax, which was 2015. Five cents, wasn't that, it, Carlos? Five cents. Yes, and, and, and indexed it. But you did that after probably a five- to eight-year conversation. Right between the department, the governor's office, the legislature in understanding consequences and what are we getting, what are the trade-offs on this. And so it's, I think the survey was fantastic and it's beginning this conversation that we need to have, but the results did not surprise me. Yeah. Right, yeah, exactly. And, and I think one thing that's interesting, if you drive anywhere else, uh, I do a lot of probably too much driving around the country. Um, one thing I've, um, I've noticed is that we're actually really lucky at – the infrastructure commitment, um, because even if, even if we do have these funding gaps, and I do hate those orange cones everywhere I go. One night I actually I went from Farmington to Salt Lake, and somehow I hit like nine different construction zones. I don't know how, but it happened, and I just I was like I never want to see an orange cone again. But I think we all hate those hate being in construction. But the alternative is you know bridge bridges that are not safe to drive under or exactly. over. Um, and I just wonder where that commitment comes from. It, you know, you may have some insight into you know, that. And, and the le- you know, Representative Handy can speak to this from the legislative perspective. Right. But yeah. the connection that our legislature and governor have made that transportation is one of these foundational issues for government to focus on. And it, it really helps feed the quality of life and the economic growth of our state. When If transportation is not working, it's a negative to those things. But when it's working, it will help our state continue to be the place we all want to live and our kids to grow up in. Yeah, that's exactly right. We have to make we have to make changes in lifestyle as our as our population grows. Mm-hmm. We know, and I hear this, Carlos, and you you've told us we can't we can't build our build build yeah. enough highways to accommodate. Yes, we have to so move that everybody mass can transit. drive every single place. Yeah, we yeah. we have to move more more mass transit, and I believe yeah. that's happening. We have that infrastructure in place and growing, and the availability of it and the convenience of it is are issues for some people. But it is marvelous what we have in the state of Utah. But it it, it is. I have observed over maybe the last five to ten years the increased amount of traffic everywhere. <laughs> everywhere. We, we, and we represent, we feel it, and it's important. You know, I think we're at this inflection point in the state of Utah. 
in terms of, you know, we're going to almost double our population in the next 30 to 35 years. Right. Most of that population growth is going to take place in the urban area. Right. And if you think of our urban area, we are not going to be able to double the lane miles in that urban area. So we have to be thinking differently about how we grow and how we move about this state. So I have a question for you. Totally, full disclosure, it's totally personal because it's in my neighborhood. <laughs> But I live in Taylorsville where they have the reversible lanes, you know, that yep. so they yep. go east, like five lanes yep. east, and then they 5, switch. 5400 South. 5400 South. So um, is that being, is that having, is that a successful experiment? Do you, th- do you yes. see that happening somewhere yep. else? I mean, that was, that was one, that alternative came about when we were looking at trying to alleviate a congestion problem. Mm-hmm. And that corridor had a very distinct, what we call peak period direction. So yeah. in the morning, there's more traffic going east. In the afternoon, there's more traffic going west. We originally laid out an alternative that was an extra lane in each direction. It would have taken out a row of homes. Okay. And we had a conversation with the neighborhood, with the city, with Taylorsville City. And we said, you know what? We think we can do a reversible lane operation. It saved us money. It's the safety numbers are better than we had before, and it saved an entire row of homes. It costs less. So that's the type of alternatives we're going to be looking at as we go forward. Yeah, and, and they're, they're incredibly innovative things. So you remember, Carlos, yep. up my way, uh, uh, interchange uh, 331 yep. at the Layton Hills Mall, and we had that, that yep. the horrific Hillfield Road and Main Street, the horrific problem. I mean, I, I served on the city council there for a number of years, as you know, and in the legislature, and that was continually kind of the number one the number one uh, issue, you know, what are you going to do about this? And what well, took us a lot of years and the leadership of some people that you know, you and I know, love Senator Adams and yep. Senator Stevenson and others. But but we have those through turns there that everyone hated initially, but they're working really well. You get you get and, you used know, to it. It's was, working really was, well. To, and I have to con- commend the leadership of Layton City at the time, Mayor Bob Stevenson. Yeah. Um, he was a brave mayor that was willing to listen to the, an alternative that was hard to you know for the public to accept initially it was hard but it's working but he he was convinced and it's working yeah yeah and i I think that the same thing with the uh with the reversible lanes i mean at first everyone this is going to cause accidents but they listen to us don't make the arrows the same color as the lights because people will think they're green the light's green when it's actually red um and they've been really great to talk to our community about it but i think I just change is hard. People hate. I mean, I know people who hate roundabouts, and I love roundabouts. So, I don't know. Well, you know, change is great for everyone else, but it's not good for ourselves, right? <laughs> yeah, if we just want our community and our neighborhood to stay the same. Yeah, forever. change is for that guy across the street. Yeah, exactly. I think it's interesting. I would love to, like, down the road, if there are some innovative ways you find to fund this. No or, pun intended. Yeah, or if there, if it's just a matter of like we have to get real with if we want to drive and not have it not take three hours, we're going to have to pay more in a gas tax or a toll. We have done you know, some... Inno- think- go ahead, Carlos. Sorry. No, no, no. Go ahead, Representative. No, no. We have done some innovative things, too, with, uh, with alter- alternative vehicles like EVs yeah. and so forth, where there was a... Where that, yeah, they're not paying a gas tax, but they do have a tiered status and a, and a, and a cutoff. I mean, I think it levels up to $120 a year. They, a couple of ways. Those, so they are pay- paying a, a little bit of a share for road maintenance, you know. Yep. And, and we're going to be going live with a voluntary, what we call, road usage charge program in January of 2020, which will be, again, leading of the nation type of thing, where those uh, owners of those uh, alternative fuel vehicles will have a choice to pay that increased fee that the representative was speaking of, or opt into a road usage charge, which would then, right. basically, they would, be, they would pay based on the amount they use the roadway. So it's right. sort of like a toll thing. And so we're... 
we're stepping into this um, this world. And if you think of the express lane system that we have on I-15, where you know it's if you're high, if you're a high occupancy vehicle, two or more, you ride for free. But if you're a single person, you can pay to use it, and that's a variable price based on the level of congestion on the roadway. Yeah. And so we are stepping into this world a little bit of um, looking at that variable pricing and also um, road usage charge that I think will help inform all of us in as we move forward to think about what we need to do to fund transportation in the future. Well, a timely and terrific conversation. Thank you, Carlos. Thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. Uh, you are listening to Inside Sources on KSL News Radio. Join us in just a minute or join us on the text line at 57500. Thank you. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.